Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back once again to Drop Pass Podcast, my dear listener. 74th episode underway and as you may have noticed, there has been a small diversion to usual upload dates and although I don't like to make excuses, currently I'm finishing my studies and therefore I've had to allocate time for that. So if you've been wondering what this is all about, that is the simple reason, but it should be done and dusted within the next few weeks. So I apologize for giving in on the schedule front, but I hope that you also understand. But today we will have more of an informative and speculative episode than what the previous few episodes have been as we go over the latest headlines regarding some GM and head coach changes in addition to some draft lottery speculation while also quickly touching up on the current playoff events. So contrary to past few weeks, we are not going to go too in-depth on each conference semifinal series and more so focus on the big picture while going over some major details that have been glaring within the five to six games that have been played. So thank you once again for joining me. I really appreciate that you decided to stop by and if you want to support the channel and haven't done it already, leave a fat juicy five-star rating for the podcast on the platform you are using and check out today's show sponsors and the discounts that they are currently offering as well as the social media handles which can be found from the episode description. Much obliged. But now, let's once again crank up the intro and head into this week's jam. So, without further ado, let's get Alright buckos, another great week ahead of us full of NHL playoff hockey, so what's there not to like? Well, I guess if you support one of the teams that is currently out of the Stanley Cup hunt, I can totally understand your reasoning, but hey, I roll in that same boat as well and I can enjoy some playoff action, so you should cheer up a little. But like I said, today we will more focus on the big news surrounding the NHL that are not necessarily tied to playoff hockey, so on the headlines, we are going to see few front office changes and for clarification, we'll for example bite a bit deeper into Calgary's poopy soup because we really didn't do that in the last episode. NHL draft lottery results are also going to be one of the talking points of this week's show. And finally, before the conference semifinals discussion, I will go over the NHL trophy finalists. So a whole lot different episode is inbound compared to few prior episodes. But let's begin from the management side and first we will go through the front office changes that have taken place as of late which concern the Rangers, Flyers and the Flames organizations. And if you are not fully aware, just after the Rangers got bounced from the first round of the playoffs, their front office decided to part ways with their head coach Gerard Gallant so a new bench boss is going to step into his shoes once the next NHL season begins in October. His journey in New York only lasted for two years, so at this point, it is pretty safe to say that he just can't find a place to stay when you see that within the last 10 years, he's had three different head coaching jobs, first in Florida, then in Vegas, and now in New York, but pretty much the threshold has been around a two-year mark, after which teams have just gotten tired of him, or for the lack of tangible results, they've decided to just let him go. He took the Knights Cup Finals in his first year in Vegas and led them to conference finals the following year before getting booted. And now from New York, he was left with a one conference finals appearance plus a shameful showing from this year's playoffs. So something is clearly missing from his coaching toolbox when the news starts to tighten up later during the hockey season. And honestly, this year he got just outcoached in the playoffs, plain and simple. Linderoff took him to the shops and led the Young Devils punch to conference semifinals, which wasn't something that many outside of the New Jersey bubble expected to really happen. And seemingly we've come to learn that his biggest weakness can be found from the tactical side, where he's not able or willing to make drastic changes even within games, which showed in the Blue Surge play within those seven games where they dominated the first couple of games, but the Devils came to New York with a totally different attitude and outlook 
which eventually led them to the next round instead of the big Apple representatives. He just clearly couldn't get enough out of his players when it was needed the most, and although that is mostly individual players' responsibility to get themselves going and ready to battle, at the same time, it is also the coach's job to rev up the team and change up things in order to get guys going if something isn't working. And since we didn't see any drastic changes after the two games, this ended up being the price that he had to pay in such a highly competitive market of NYC. Now the Rangers have to find a replacement for him from the open market, and currently one name that has been popping up in the headlines is our farm team Hartford Wolfpack's current head coach, Chris Knobloch, who has been running the ship there for four years now, but we'll see if their front office is willing to take a flyer on an unproving NHL coach. And just ends up settling on more experienced name that could charge up the team differently when the chips are on the line once again. So not shocking news by any means and more so expected when you take into account the level of expectations in New York and Gallant's overall track record from the past few years in the NHL. And like I mentioned in last week's episode, Daryl Sutter was also relieved from his duties in Calgary and now that we know that he's not going back to Alberta next year, I feel kind of bad for their former GM Brad Trilving who specifically left the team due to his presence inside their locker room. But seemingly that was the alarm clock for their big hefes who started to ask questions and eventually conducted more thorough investigation into this matter which led to them deciding on parting ways with this experienced and respected head coach prematurely. And what is most interesting about this is that according to some rumors, Sutter had polluted the air inside their dressing room so much that many players and even staff had walked in fear inside the hallways of the Saddle Dome. And that is pretty interesting to hear because, on the other hand, you hear some guys praising him for being a stand-up guy who looks after his players and only wants what's best for them. But then you hear something like this, and especially that some guys had left trade requests only due to his presence within the team. So, at the end of the day, if I had to decide on what to believe, I would lean towards the majority who's saying that the current atmosphere around the locker room is almost straight-up cancerous. Plus, as you remember, their GM resigned because Suter was so hard to work with, so after three years, I think it was time to change the chapter and complete a so-called full-front office rebuild. I know that he's an extremely competitive guy and wants to win by any means necessary, so that can drive some guys crazy, I know that for a fact, but as we've come to learn in recent years, these types of old-school coaches are starting to lose their jobs as new young bloods start to enter the league with star statuses, which is something that they might not be used to, and are just not fully compatible for new age NHL and how the players want to be treated. After all, teams are starting to lean away from coaches that lead with fear, and if that is something Studer leans on most of the time, I'm not surprised at all if guys get fed up with him fairly easily. In addition to his preference on hard-nosed hockey, which means that every guy on the team, regardless of their play style, has to fit into a certain mold, which can drain out some skill out of some top-line players like we just saw happening to Huberto after his monster year in Florida. So we'll see if his time in the NHL is now in the books because the Flames will still pay him for two more years which he had in his current contract, but certainly they are going to need a new bench boss that could turn their tide rather quickly because this year was a total disaster for their entire organization and much better results are expected when the puck drops again next autumn. And the last news piece concerning some front office changes comes from Philadelphia, which promoted their interim GM Daniel Breer as their new official general manager as expected. Meanwhile, former Flyers forward and TV face Keith Jones was named as their new president of hockey operations, which will be his first ever appearance in a cabinet role. Breer was expected to take the lead when they relieved Chuck Fletcher from his duties earlier this spring, so it wasn't really surprising to see him becoming the next general manager of his former team. And despite lack of experience, I believe that Jones will be in a key role in changing the course of the franchise alongside his new right-hand man. Jones is extremely well-liked in Phyllis' community, 
and is known as a guy who knows a lot about hockey, given his background from the eye surface, as well as from the other side of the TV screen. And what is seen as his biggest strength is the people skills that he possesses, which will come in handy when operating in such a big role in front of one of the most fanatic fan bases of the NHL. It's going to be a long road though, and the next few moves will very much decide the outcome of their short-term future, so that's why I'm excited to see how these two are planning to start the change in the city of brotherly love. Also, both guys are perfect fits for their jobs in a sense that both have a lengthy history within the organization, but as we know, the expectations for Flyers fans are quite big, so even the so-called hometown heroes are going to have to show their pedigree right from the start to not get totally blasted by their community because losing is something that has become a custom for the franchise and their fan base certainly wants to see a change in that within the next five years without a doubt. So hopefully that makeover will start with these two major moves this summer. The NHL award finalists were also named last week, so next we are going to tackle those out of the way so that you are aware which names could be adding some hardware to their trophy cabinets after the playoffs are over. First, the three-color finalist, aka Rookie of the Year, ended up being Seattle's Matty Beniers, who had a stellar first full season in the big league with 24 tucks and 33 apples from 80 games, and finished the year as the highest-scoring rookie in the entire league. Edmonton's goal is Stuart Skinner, who is currently trying to get the team to the conference finals in the battle against the Knights in the West, was the second nominee for the Calder, and lastly, Buffalo's 2021 first overall pick, Owen Power, who finished the season with 35 points from 79 games from the blue line, was nominated as the final Calder candidate. So, extremely solid year for the highly touted DM prospect as well. But most likely, Veneers is going to grab home the trophy given his impact for the Kraken on their way to Stanley Cup playoffs. The three Ted Lindsay finalists are Eric Carlson, Connor McDavid, and David Pasternak, which is awarded to NHL's most outstanding player of the regular season, voted by the NHL Player Association for those who might not be familiar with the award. While EK65, Adam Fox, and Kale McCarr were named as the finalists for the Norris Trophy, and I'm 100% willing to run laps around the block naked. If Eric Carlson isn't the guy taking the trophy home at the NHL awards case, 100 points is 100 points, just like 20 bucks is always 20 bucks, if you know what I mean. Anze Kopitar, Jack Hughes, and Braden Point were nominated as the three finalists for the Gentleman Trophy, aka the Lady Bing, while Patrice Bergeron, Nico Hichir, and Mitch Marner were listed as the finalists for the Selkett Trophy, so more commonly known as the best defensive forward in the big league. Boston's head coach Jim Montgomery, New Jersey's Lindy Ruff, and Seattle's Steve Haxtell were the three nominees for the Jack Adams Award, so the coach of the year for anyone wondering. And I gotta say that it's been awesome to see the comebacks that both Ruff and Haxtell have had this year, because after last year's disappointment, Seattle fans were up in arms to get Haxtell out of the town due to their struggles, but this year, the team has taken a massive step forwards and just beat the defending Stanley Cup champs in the first round, which came as a shock to many hockey fans, me included. And additionally, are on their way to another Game 7 against the Stars in the conference semifinals, so it's safe to say that he has preserved his job this year due to a drastic change in the outcome of their season. Same goes with Rafkes. If you can recall, just six months ago, the entire Prudential Center was chanting, Fire Lindy. And now that they got past the first round, the tone has totally changed, and the team has started to look as one of the best up-and-coming teams of the NHL with elite young talent such as Hughes brothers, Brad and Mercer. So in that sense, this race could end up being a closer than what many might think is. Yes, Montgomery just coached the Bees to a historical NHL regular season, but the two other candidates have made their cases as well, so it will be interesting to see how the vote goes between these three bench bosses. Familiar names also meant the hard finalist spots as McDavid and Pasternak made their returns to trophy race, while Florida's Matthew Kajak was the final nominee up for the most valuable player of the 22-23 NHL season. 
And lastly, before we move to other news, we have the Vesna Trophy race. And for this trophy, I have something to say, because when I name the three candidates, you might notice that there seems to be a name that is missing despite elite numbers from this year's regular season. And if you can say it from the top of your head, I give you credit because you've certainly been doing your homework. So the three finalists are Alsnet, Munder, Iles Rockin. No surprise there. Almost single-handedly carried the Islanders to the postseason. Boston's Linus Ulmark. No surprise there either. Fantastic numbers behind the best regular season team in the NHL history. But the third name on the list ends up being Winnipeg's Connor Hellebuck. Yeah. If you just ask yourself what the actual act you would want to do right now, I can say that I was asking the same damn question myself. Yeah, he had stellar numbers in the regular season, there's no doubt about that. And he bounced back really nicely from previous season, but why wasn't Yusuf Saras one of the nominees, huh? And by the way, this isn't a Homer opinion because he was standing on his head for most of the year and really increased his numbers from the start. And mind you, at the end of the day, stop pucks behind league six to worst defense statistically. So when you compare Hellebuck's 0.920 save percentage and 2.49 goals against average, plus record of 37-24-4 to Saros's 0.919 save percentage, 2.69 goals against average, and 33-23-7 and record. You just can't talk me into believing that Hellebuck should have been in that group instead of Saros. No way, Joseph. Go catch a bus. He was the only guy in the top 10 starter list with more than 45 games played whose team didn't make the playoffs and had the best goal saved above expected stat in the entire league. So try to make sense to me by telling me why the NHL decided to pull the carpet from underneath his feet this way after such a heroic year between the pipes. And the funny thing is that Nashville sold at the deadline and pretty much played with their farm team at the end of the season due to trades and injuries. And Jose Saros was the one guy that kept the team in the playoff race until the very final few games of the regular season. When they should have been out of the picture before the final two weeks. So, yeah. I'm out of words, right? Because since the All-Star break, it was 100% clear to anyone who follows advanced stats more closely that the trio would be Sorokin, Ulmark, and Saros at the end of the year. But no. No, 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 no. The NHL decided to put the blindfolds on and just check the elite prospects for the highest save percentages among starters and went with that. So it can be said that thorough investigation took place in the NHL headquarters just last week. Snubbed is the only word to describe a situation, but it is what it is. At least me and you know what's the deal here, so we can draw our own conclusions from the stats and hope that the NHL realizes how they fumbled the ball on this one and take something home from it. I'm skeptical about it, but it is better to live in hope than misery, am I right? And even though the fact might be that he wouldn't have won the trophy, as a Finn, I feel responsibility to bring up this joke because the guy should earn the credits he deserves. And in this case, he just got an email from the NHL head office saying, F you, you are too short, lol. And that was most likely the credit they gave him, but that's all I have to say about that. But those were the names that crowd the open NHL trophy races, and as we know, Connor McDavid will take home both the Artros as well as the Maurice Rocket Richard Trophy, thanks to his plus 150-point season, and Boston standem of Ulmark and Swayman will grab the William and Jennings Trophy, thanks to their lowest goals allowed total, but the rest of the trophies are still up for grabs, so we'll see which names end up getting some hardware to their cabinets before this year's NHL entry draft. And speaking of which, we might as well next move on to the lottery results which were published just last week. And of course, the whole event was filled with drama once again thanks to giving weeks a slip up. So, if you happen to miss it, before the first overall pick was announced, the three remaining teams on the board were Columbus, Chicago and Anaheim. 
before a commercial break, but uh, as the show continued, Weeks had totally left out Columbus from the first overall conversation, which surprised people since they hadn't announced the team with the third overall selection yet at that point, so some started to speculate that this whole event was rigged again, and I certainly ain't willing to dive into that rabbit hole at this point, but if you decide to do so, there's certainly is the red string to follow, which eventually leads to Uncle Batman's pocket, so you do your own research on it if you feel like it. But pretty much the lottery went according to plan, where for the most part, only teams switching places were the top three teams as Chicago moved to first overall, ahead of both Anaheim and Columbus, who had better odds for the first pick, but got slapped back in the pecking order as Anaheim grabbed home the second overall pick and Columbus fell to third overall, as you could probably tell from the Kevin Weeks story. And what is funny about this situation is the fact that Anaheim once again misses on a generational talent, because Back in 2005, when Sidney Crosby was the ground jewel of the 05 class, Anaheim ended up dropping to second place in the draft as Pittsburgh came and took the kid first overall, while Anaheim had to settle for Bobby Ryan, who had a respectable run in the NHL as well. But as we understand, unfortunately, we can even start to compare the milestones of these two. So once again, they are playing the second fiddle and missing on a franchise-changing center. And I just can't but feel for the Ducks fans who were expecting to get the right-handed sniper to the roster to play alongside his Canadian brother, Macy McTavish, and stick handling wizard, Trevor Zegris. Then though, San Jose took the fourth overall spot and my beloved Montreal Canadiens get to pick as the last team in the top five. And I gotta say that I have no clue of what they are going to do with it since first and second are pretty much secure in Bedard and Fentili, but after that, the game is wide open and picks in between them and the top two will decide who they are going to go with. Since we know that Columbus has been known for going off the board in recent years and there is a guy like Matvey Michkov who is a wild card here so I'm really intrigued to see who the top five picks in this draft class are going to be because there is a plethora of players that could jump the rankings given the stacked nature of this year's draft class. Arizona just ends up missing the top five and lands the sixth overall pick. Philly received the seventh pick. Washington got pick number eight. And the final two teams in the top ten are Detroit and St. Louis in that exact order. Arizona also got the twelfth overall pick thanks to Chikrin trade they made at the deadline. So, in conclusion, many teams that were at the top of the draft last year man the top spots this year again while Washington and St. Louis make their debuts in the top 10 for the first time in many, many years, thanks to their strong regular seasons. And as custom, I'll be doing my draft preview episode in the near future, so we are not going to go any deeper into what these teams could look for when the name calling starts in June, but what is 100% certain is the fact that Connor Bedard is going to be the first overall pick and will begin the new reign in Chicago, just like Davis and Kane did when they were selected to win the city in back-to-back years. But like I said, we will return back to this topic at a later date, so now it's time to go over the last more minute headlines that broke the threshold last week, which concerned press defenseman Mark Borowiecki and Colorado's captain Gabriel Landeskog. So as we know, Landeskog missed the entire 22-23 campaign due to a lower body injury. And even though he was expected to be back in their lineup for the postseason, he wasn't able to make his return and had to head under the scalpel once more when their season was done. Last week, he underwent a successful knee surgery. But what is concerning here is the fact that, according to most sources, he's expected to miss the entire 23-24 campaign as well due to a lengthy rehab period which is tied to that specific knee operation. and. That is certainly not good news for a team that is currently in a win-now mode, trying to do what the Bolts did just a few years ago. So, when you look back at their past year, you have to say that it was remarkable how they were able to make their way to the postseason with such a long list of individuals missing more than 20 games. And most of the credit should go to their top names that pretty much forcefully carried the team back on top, but... If that is going to be the script for next year as well, we can't unfortunately expect much more from them if they can't hold on to most of the guys that are becoming free agent this summer and even add to that pool of players since they will be without their captain for a long period of 
time. You can only get so much out of your top players, and quite clearly you could sense that the likes of McKinnon, Rantanen and Makar had went through hell and back to get the team to where they were when the postseason started. And as we witnessed, in the current day NHL, you need more than a handful of guys that are going to do the heavy lifting because the pace of the game is so wild and margins are extremely small. So if they aim to repeat their 22 cup run, they are going to need their captain back at least for the playoffs and more players jumping in because one scoring line isn't going to cut it in today's NHL. Only exception maybe being the Oilers, but you have to remember that they have probably the best power play in the NHL history. So. That is on their side as well. But given that Landis Cook missed the entire past regular season and most likely sees ice next time right before the next postseason in the best scenario, he is going to need some time to get back on his feet before entering the postseason because he won't be nowhere near his elite level before he gets back up to pace of NHL hockey after being out of their lineup for so long. And when it comes to Nijuskin's situation, I'm currently not going to go into details on what happened because we've heard rumors from multiple sources claiming different things, so I want to leave that aspect to the side and leave the speculation for other news journals who feed off of these types of headlines. But regardless, it is understandable that his actions didn't help the team one bit and weaken their odds quite massively because he was one of the guys that was leaned on when considering the second unit scoring responsibility. And lastly, before we move to playoff coverage, when it comes to Borokov, we learned last week that after a few injury-riddled seasons, he had made the decision to hang up his skates and move away from the icy surface for good. The Ontario native has been in the league since 2011, so 458 NHL games and 12 seasons later, the scary blue line crusher leaves the NHL behind after shooting up for Ottawa and most recently Nashville in the bright lights. The two-time most penalized player in the NHL was a menace for the opposing teams on the ice and was one of the NHL's toughest customers of the past decade, so he has earned every credit, there's no doubt about that, so congrats to Borokov for his lengthy NHL career. But that will mark the end of our news coverage for this week, and next we will start to go over the main events of the second round, where two teams have already cleared their path to the conference finals, which are Carolina Hurricanes and the Florida Panthers. But before we bite into conference semifinals action, we gotta take a quick commercial break and hear what the show sponsors DraftKings and Raycon have on offer for you this week. So sit tight, and I'll be back in just a short moment. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. You can always go with the underdogs, for example, Seattle Kraken or the Florida Panthers, or pick the favorites, Dallas or New Jersey, to make some money. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can make a $5 hockey playoff bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Massachusetts. Call 800-327-5050 or visit gambling helpline ma.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for offer details. 
See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's face it, with coffee starting at $5 and your bank account somehow always depleting, we are officially entering a dupe session. Most products do the same thing but are priced differently solely based on the brand name, so a good duplicate or dupe is crucial for getting the highest quality at the best price. And one dupe you definitely shouldn't sleep on is Raycon wireless earbuds. Raycon is premium audio at the perfect price point, so you can listen to what you want, when you want, without breaking the bank. Raycon's mission is to prove you that you shouldn't have to pay an arm and a leg for quality sound and essential smart tech listening features. You can get a pair and a spare and still pay less than you would with some of those other more big name tech brands out there. Raycon knows that in this economy, Every purchase needs to be perfect. They offer buy now, pay later options, and right now you can pay as low as $18 at checkout. They have an easy and free return guarantee. They offer two years of product protection insurance for just few bucks. They offer free domestic shipping and flat fee international shipping. Plus, they have over 50,000 five-star reviews. Their headphones have noise isolation that perfectly suppresses the sound of your annoying neighbor who is drilling a hole on his wall chest as you are listening to this episode. Everyday earbuds also have 8 hours of playtime so it doesn't even matter if the neighbor keeps drilling holes cause you get the battery to face it. And also, their headphones are water and sweat resistant so if you're like me and like to spend time in fresh spring air and happen to live somewhere where you are bound to get drenched, for example Vancouver, Great Britain or the Nordics, I would suggest you pick up a pair of these because they have what it takes to take on that challenge. Go to buyraycon.com THPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That is buy B-U-Y Raycon R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash THPN to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash THPN Thanks to both DraftKings and Raycon for sponsoring the show. And now we will head back to playoff hockey and more specifically the second round action which will end in a couple of days as we learn which will be the final four teams that will be battling away for the glorious Stanley Cup. Like I said, Canes and the Cats already secured their spots in the top four by winning the Devils and the Leafs in five games, so the only thing left to do is find out which are the two teams from the West that will be challenging those teams for the Cup from the West Coast. This week we won't go as in-depth into each game as in the past two weeks and more so try to focus on the major factors of each series. And first on the board is going to be the battle between the Young Devil squad and the best defensive team of the playoffs, the Carolina Hurricanes, who once again showed their pedigree in the five-game series against the fleet-footed New Jersey representatives. And first and foremost, I gotta say that I've been underestimating the Canes punch this year again, and I would deserve a clown nose for that because they've been rock solid so far, not counting the few off nights which are inevitable on this level. and. They've really brought back the defense wins championship mentality after last year's offensive surge. And honestly, I'm still quite mesmerized by their success since the fact is that they are still missing three key contributors from their lineup in Svechnikov, Pacioretty and Teravainen. And in that, are most likely losing some things out of 100 goals regular season-wise, so how they've managed to pull out offense that has so far beaten both the Islanders Okay, that doesn't really take that much, but still. And most recently, the Devils is something that I can't just wrap my head around, so 
The only thing that still worries me is that the wells run dry on that front and they can't find enough offense, but it's been the concern since the start and they've been able to almost dominate games, so who am I really to say anything? And really what has brought them thus far has been their constant four-line pressure in addition to concrete D-zone defensive game, which has been extremely tough to break. And pretty much most of the goals they've conceded have come from counter-attacks, so it is going to be extremely interesting to see how they match up against another heavy pressuring team in the conference finals who forced the opposing teams to make mistakes in their own zone in their previous two playoff series. But when it comes to their five-game series against the Devils, pretty much the Kings just mothered the Devils in most of the games with those two aspects which I mentioned in the previous sentence. And when they got their offensive chances, they used them extremely effectively. And even when Freddie Anderson was needed, he stood firm in his crease and gave the Kings the opportunity to take home Ws from few close games. And you could almost sense that something had switched on for the Kings in this series, which was missing from the Devil's Punch. And I feel like that is something that came from their previous playoff experiences and veteran players that had seen this ride multiple times before. Their level didn't fluctuate within the series except for the one throwaway game, which was labeled as the worst game of Brendan Moore's coaching career. But other than that, you knew each night exactly what they were going to bring to the table. and. As the saying goes, your team is as strong as its weakest link, and when you have four lines doing the same exact work on nightly basis, you are bound to get results from more than just your first liners, and that began to be true. As their third line grinder, Jordan Martinuk put up 10 points in the span of just five games. They just earned their Ws in this series and showed the young Devil's Punch what it really is like to swim in the deep end and really showed that skill isn't enough anymore at this stage of the hockey season plus the fact how hard you really have to work and want to win to gain any leverage on a 7-game series. So kudos to Kane for absolutely pile-driving me and my picks and also for advancing to the conference finals. When it comes to New Jersey's performance, as I said, experience took over in this series and their young superstars couldn't find the gear that was needed to take home four Ws from the tireless Kane squad. Akira Smith was made to look like a human again, as he could pull twice within five games, and Vitek Vanacek wasn't that much better in the games he played, so in the big picture, the game showed that the Devils, who had just beaten one of the cup favorites, wasn't that big of a deal, and that the Rangers had just shed the bed like we saw in their Game 7 performance. There's still a lot of road ahead before reaching the great heights of the NHL when it comes to their team, and certainly there are going to be a few forks in the road before reaching the desired destination, but certainly this year gives lots of hope for their fan base, and hopefully they can learn from this experience and take home as much as possible to improve for next year, which I expect to be their goal when the next NHL season rolls around. Props to Roth for inserting Luke Hughes into their lineup in the midst of the series. In my opinion, he should have been there right from the start given his puck carrying and passing ability. But the thing that riddled me the most was the decision to put Vanacek in for Game 3 after the 6-goal beating on an away ice and then riding him to Game 4 after allowing 4 goals against in a 8-4 blowout win. Like, yeah. I understand that he is the more experienced out of their two netminders, but at least for me, he hadn't shown anything special which would force me to put him between the pipes, where Schmid, who had fallen back down to earth, had pulled out two shutouts in their previous series, and been probably the main reason why they were there at that point of time. So, I don't know if it would have changed anything, but I was just scratching my head when I turned on the TV and noticed that he was standing between their pipes, but just like I said, I'm simultaneously happy for their success this year, but also angry because they busted up my playoff bracket when they beat the Rangers in the first round, but it really wasn't their fault because the Fugazis just didn't earn anything because of their performance and were rightfully ditched out to the links after seven games. Panthers, on the other hand, stayed on their tracks and kept chugging as they smacked the Leafs in five games and moved on to the conference finals to face the Hurricanes. 
As I mentioned, they forced turnovers due to their heavy relentless forecheck and just like in their series against the Bruins, used their chances extremely well and dominated the crease area on both ends of the ice. They were able to completely shut down Toronto's power play and their depth really showed up in this series since they found the necessary scoring from all over their lineup. And guys like Ketchuk and Barkov were left pretty silent at least when it came to scoring related to their first round series. Poprovsky was the real difference maker for them in net and when you allow just 10 goals against in the span of 5 playoff games, you can say that your defense was pretty solid as well, especially when you look at the offensive firepower that the Leafs possessed, but really, most of the credit should go towards Bob, who was lights out, and reminded us that he still might be worth the 10 million he's currently earning. The Cats were just basically able to eliminate the sharpest edge off of Leafs' offense, and their core four was left without goals in their final four games, before William Nylander tied up the game in game number five. And really, it wasn't because they didn't have chances or weren't trying because Matthews, Nylander and Marner had adopted more gritty playstyle for the postseason this time around. But the goals were just hard to come by. And now they have a massive offseason coming up, which will pretty much decide their future as their current GM, Carl Dubas's, as well as their head coach Sheldon Keefe's contracts come to their ends and they can start contract negotiations with Austin Matthews on July 1st. Steve Dangle did a tremendous breakdown of their summer in his post-game 5 video, so if you want to hear some yelling, more yelling, plus the possible breakdown of their future, I would strongly suggest heading there and to enjoy the pain of being a Leafs fan. But what I've noticed this postseason is that this year's Panthers squad has looked exactly like the team I've been expecting to see in their previous two postseason runs, so despite not having the same caliber teams as in years past, They've found the output that I've been expecting, and they are currently looking real menacing when they head to their conference final matchup. Their top three lines have been awesome and have fulfilled their roles almost to perfection, and especially I've been impressed with their third line of Luostarinen, Lundel and Reinhardt, who seem to create scoring chances straight out of nothing, thanks to their relentless forecheck. While their first last second line of Cousins, Bennett and Kachuk ain't that far away from them, who've been absolute pests throughout the entire postseason. And I've loved watching them bowl around the ice within the first two series. And I'm not expecting that to change one bit when they head to North Carolina to face the already banged up Hurricane squad. But all in all, the right teams are in the top two in the East. There's no doubt about that. They've worked the hardest and have very deservedly earned their shots for the Lord Stanley. So I'm really excited to see how this matchup will go down once the action starts in a few nights. And since my predictions don't hold any gravity anymore, I might as well keep underestimating the Kane squad and say that the Panthers will advance to the cup finals in six games. I was so close on picking them in their Leaf series, so since I didn't do that, I might as well jump on their bandwagon at this point and jinx their postseason run as I've already done for so many teams in this year's playoffs. Then we head to West, where the Dallas Stars and the Seattle Kraken are going to Game 7 to decide which team advances to the Western Conference Finals. Seattle kept pumping their four-line tempo game in Game 6 and shot Jake Oninger to the bench, so the team that looked dead in their previous game found the extra step once again and tied up the series with one game remaining. But certainly, we've seen in this series that their previous battle against the Avs drained off part of their gas tank because they've had to dig deeper to find success against the fast and strong Stars Punch, who haven't gone away without any fight. And while speaking of the Stars, I need to tip my cap to Joe Pavelski, who ended up scoring four goals in the first game of this series, but still, despite that, the away team Kraken was able to scratch home a win from that game and spoil this party of becoming the oldest player in the NHL history to record four goals in a single playoff game. Undoubtedly, his presence has brought a lot to Dallas's game, even though Tyler Sagan didn't do a horrible job in replacing him on their first line, but still, that kind of veteran presence cannot be underestimated at this stage of the hockey season, so 
it's been great to see him on the ice in the search of his first ever Stanley Cup. Jake Ottinger's confidence has experienced a small hit since their first round matchup as he's been pulled on two different occasions within the six game span. And same goes with Kraken's Philip Grubauer, who as well was headed to their bench in game four blowout. So, all in all, the goalie battle has been relatively close in this series despite the momentum both netminders carried over from the first round. Jared McCann's injury has really damped some of Seattle's offense and Although he made his return to their lineup in Game 3, he has played really limited minutes and visibly he's been battling to stay on the ice, so they unfortunately won't get 100% from him. But luckily, others have stepped up, and for example, Eli Tolvanen, Janne Gord, Oliver Bjergstrand, and especially Jordan Everly have had big nights for them and are expected to contribute in Game 7 as well, if they aim to advance to the conference finals. And when it comes to the top names of Dallas' squad, what else can I say than Ropa Hintz is currently playing out of his mind and has really made Jason Robertson look like a filler alongside him thanks to his offensive numbers. J-Rob has struggled to find his confidence, especially in this series, and that creates some concern when heading to the deciding game. Miro Heiskanen has been Dallas's workhorse on the blue line and hasn't received the attention which he, in my mind, should deserve because the guy has clocked up pretty much 30 minutes per game and has been on the ice for just like a handful of even strength goals against while being an automatic breakout maestro on their back end. So I think few more headlines should include his name to be completely honest. But like we saw in game six, nothing is concrete yet. Kraken will do everything in their power to upset another big cup favorite on an away ice like they did in their previous series. Whereas Dallas aims to take control of the tempo and physical play in Game 7 and to unleash their offensive weapons on their way to conference final. But definitely just like with New Jersey, this season has already been a massive W for Seattle, but if they can find a way to squeak out another magical performance, it would make it just that much more impressive. So. We'll see what ends up happening when these two meet for the final game on Monday night. And the last series that is still kicking is the one between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Edmonton Oilers. And so far, the series between these two Western Conference teams has been exactly what we expected. The two-man band versus Vegas' three-line washing machine that so far has been able to find holes from Edmonton's defense and has a 3-2 series lead over the only remaining Canadian representatives. Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl have continued where they left off in their previous series but haven't gotten the depth scoring that was highlighted in their previous series against the LA Kings. And I mean, Leon has just been an absolute beast this postseason with a four-goal performance in a losing effort, plus a total of 13 tucks to his name from 11 games, which is the same total that last year's top scorer Nathan McKinnon had after 20 games. So, if they find a way to tie up the series and move on to the conference finals, his worth for the team cannot be underestimated, plain and simple. On the other side, Vegas' big dogs Mark Stone and especially Jack Eichel have been in key roles on both ends of the ice. And overall, this series so far has seen some fireworks with suspensions and whatnot, so we can expect to see more of that from the remaining game slash games if they end up to Game 7. Lauren Brosua was injured in the second game of this series and Aiden Hill had to step up in his place whereas Stuart Skinner was pulled from the Edmonton's crease in Game 5, so there is clearly some uncertainty attached to both teams' blue paints. If the Oils aim to reach any heights this year, their lower lines are going to need to step up like they did in their earlier series, whereas the Knights have to stay disciplined because you won't win any games from the penalty box against this team and I'm just stating the obvious here because their power play has been almost automatic. So, all in all, I hope that this series will go to Game 7 because so far the games have been that entertaining with both teams capitalizing on each other's mistakes on moments notice. So, if Vegas ends up in the conference finals against the Stars or the Kraken, 
I will have stars in seven. And if Edmonton finds a way to even out the series and take the game seven, I'm going to keep my bracket prediction and say that they will advance to the cup finals in seven games. But by the way, my bracket has been unfolding to this point. I don't have that much confidence in it. And I gotta admit that Dallas Oilers series was the toughest one to pick for my bracket. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if they ended up in the cup finals from the West because they were my Dark Horse Cup candidate for this year. So all in all, big upsets and lots of great playoff hockey already behind us and even more to come in the near future. So enjoy this while it lasts because soon the two-month sprint is going to be over and we head to a long off-season. So that is going to be my two cents of the week for you. And before we end the episode, I also got to mention that if you are looking for full contract and trade coverage, I would strongly suggest you drop a follow on the show's IG page at the drop underscore Pascus. I've been updating these sorts of things in there to keep you guys on track with the major moves that might fly under the radar during the hockey season. Because as custom, we've seen multiple entry-level deals being signed now that most of the leagues worldwide have come to their conclusions, for example. And since I have left without mention quite a few of those, I don't want to start listing all the guys down that were signed to entry-level contracts at this point because that is just going to be boring for both of us. So I highly recommend you checking out the IG page because there you will find all the most notable updates regarding trades, contracts, and so on. But that will be all for this week. Like I mentioned, a bit different agenda than in previous few weeks. And hopefully I get to finish off my studies in the next few weeks so that I can fully return to pump up content like usually. And you don't have to wait for long periods of time for new uploads. We got some exciting episodes coming up. So be sure to tune in whenever you see a new episode appearing on your sideline. And big thanks for your support. I really, really do appreciate it. And also make sure to let all your neighbors know what this show is all about, just so that we can keep growing this community over the summer period. I hope you enjoyed. If you have anything on your mind, don't hesitate to leave me a DM. And remember to check the show sponsors and their great discounts. All necessary links can be found from the episode description. I'm signing off now, so have an awesome week, you beauty. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time.